Good evening and welcome to Colorado Inside Out. I'm your guest host, Krista Kafer, Sunday columnist with the Denver Post. We're here at my favorite bookstore, The Tattered Cover, for this episode and the next one. Tonight we're joined by Patricia Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, Kwame Spearman, CEO of The Tattered Cover, Chris Rourke, deputy editor with the Denver Gazette, and former DA and 710 talk show host, George Brockler. Let's get started. The Interior just announced uh, an expansion of a U.S. historical site dedicated to the 1864 Sand Creek Massacre. The National Park Service first established the site back in 2007. The land is considered sacred by the tribes. The decision is part of a larger effort to recognize the significance of Native cultures in U.S. history. Has it been a long time coming? Patty Calhoun. Well, so this massacre was 158 years ago, and really until about 30 years ago, they didn't even know where the site was. 230 Cheyenne and Arapaho were killed there under, in a peaceful camp. You know, they had the white flag flying, they were in a truce, they had um, negotiated it just two months earlier, and Colonel John Shivington came with his troops, his volunteer troops, and killed 230 mostly women, children, and old, older men while the others were trying to fight or flee. It's an incredible tragedy. And the fact is it was covered up or forgotten for decades and generations until they found the site. Ben Knight Horse Campbell, then the state senator, was intrinsic in pushing it through Congress to prove that this should be a national monument. At the very last second, they found letters from Silas Sewell, who was there, who refused to participate and was later, um, was later assassinated in 1864 on the streets of Denver. It is an amazing story. And at the last second, they found him writing about, they found his letters, which said, they killed little children. They beat their heads out. They stripped up the body, apart, the bodies of parts. They paraded things back to Denver. It was horrifying. And it's taken so long to get to the point where it became a site. And now it's been doubled. The Department of the Interior just announced it. It's an extraordinary move. It's extremely important, and we all should know a lot more about this in this state. We should know more. You know, I, I don't ever recall seeing or hearing about this when I was a kid. Kwame, did you? I, I don't remember. I was, I was an okay student, so it's possible that it was taught. You know, I, I went to Denver Public Schools, and we had a very good track record of acknowledging history. But as this shows, there are some things that are missed. I think the real question is, how do we demonstrate uh, moving forward the combination of acknowledging the history and sort of thinking about how we can be better for it? And that seems to be the major tension right now. But 100%, it's a story that we need to know more about. It's a story that's a critical part of our history. It's a story that may not make us feel the best, but something that I think can motivate us to be better moving forward. And there's more to the story. There's archaeological findings in this property. The property is considered sacred, as well as the fact that there are there's a short grass prairie that can be preserved through this this act. Chris, uh, what is your take on this situation? Well, I agree with you both that you know it, it is. I was going to phrase it as a dark part of Colorado and national history, but it's it's so much more than that. And I don't know that anything can ever atone for it or ever bring closure. But I think after 150 years, it's time to start taking that step. I couldn't agree more. Um, George, this is a significant step in recognizing a great tragedy, but also something that we could learn from, including a conscientious objector who did not want to participate. What do you think? 
Listen, I'm not normally a fan of the idea that we're going to highlight the, the greatest evils that we perpetrate as a people. And, and that's something that it seems like it's picked up some momentum. But this feels different to me. I think there's a lot about this story that people don't know. For instance, uh, John Shivington, who wears much of the blame for what took place just a short time before, was one of the heroes of Glorietta Pass in defending Colorado from the encroachment of the Confederates. So, I mean, there's this duality of man, the good and the bad, and it led to this evil outcome that I think, but for the fact that um, there had been focus by Senator Nighthorse Campbell and and others, we wouldn't know about it. So I do think it's something that highlights not just what we were capable of doing wrong, but what another people suffered who are actually here first. And, and I wanna echo something that Kwame said too, and that is he went to Dover Public School, so he didn't learn much. And I, no, I'm kidding, I'm, to <laughs> I'm totally joking. <laughs> I, well, I went to Jeffco school, so... Uh, Jeffco, you know, baby, Bear so Creek. So you Bear Creek. Glass is what I'm <laughs> <laughs> but it was awesome. Right, so let's hope that this is something that we can uh, revisit in the future. In the meanwhile, Mayor Hancock has requested a record, number of, record amount of money in 2023 budget proposal for police, fire, and jail services. Aurora is continuing its search for its police chief, and the Colorado Department of Corrections is offering bonuses to new hires at the state correctional facilities to try to fill some of these open positions. Will these changes actually take a bite out of rising, rising crime, Kwame? You know, I look at this from a small business perspective, and I think one of the, the worst evils of crime is how it affects small businesses. Mm -hmm. You know, we work on razor thin margins. And so when you're in a situation in which people maybe don't want to go into your store the way that they used to because they're afraid to go into the neighborhood or afraid that something's going to happen to them, we, we take the brunt of that. And so we've got to do more in this city and this state to get back to where we were before COVID on crime. I think the biggest thing that I want to underscores the need for innovation. You know, we have tried things in the past and many of those things haven't worked. President Biden today obviously said that uh, he was going to pardon people who had been accused of or who were in jail for federal crimes dealing with marijuana. We've got to learn from those mistakes, but also put forward a plan that can get us back to where we were moving forward. I look at the vacancy, I look at the new hires as an opportunity for innovation. And I think what needs to happen is we've got to be honest about what's happened in the city over the past three years and take some steps to actually clean things up because businesses in particular are hurting. The, the other thing that you notice is the neighborhoods that have seen the biggest uptick in crime. Unfortunately, those are the neighborhoods that are typically you know, black and brown represented. And so those are the people that we've got to give as much support to as possible. So I, I'm, I'm in a wait and see mode to see if this actually helps, but I, I'm all for another attempt. I'm all for new ideas and new people in those positions. Chris, as a, as a deputy editor of, of a major newspaper, you have kind of a bird's eye view of the situation. Aurora, Denver, other mm -hmm. communities, how they're affected by crimes as your reporters put those stories into the paper. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with this new investment in counteracting that crime? Well, I think the problem is if you don't have anyone to enforce the law, it's hard to you know, enforce those laws. Um, we have laws on the books, but if nobody's there to patrol, nobody's there to um, make arrests, then you can't tamp down on crime. That said, I don't think you can just throw money at the problem. It's, it's a, a multi-pronged issue. I think that um, lawmakers need to look at policy because in the, in the paper, pages of our paper and on the airwaves, we're seeing stories where offenders are going out 
and killing people when they've been on probation. So I think you can't just throw money at the problem. Yes, we need more in law, law enforcement. We need to fund the police. We need to um, train the police. But we also need to look at policy. George, you've had a long-term experience with uh, with crime and also with combating crime as a DA. Okay, so because you were not, for a moment As a long-time criminal, no, as a, as a DA. Uh, when you look at this problem and these potential solutions, what do you see? Well, listen, I think we have to acknowledge that we lead the country in a whole bunch of areas we don't want to. I mean, listen, we're one of the best bookstores in the state of Colorado, if not this region of the country, but if these books were on wheels, they'd be stolen. I mean, we're number one in America for stolen vehicles. And when you look at the attempt by Denver here, you have to understand that they have a limited amount of money for everything. They got to decide how they're going to spend it. And rather than take that money and apply it towards retention bonuses for a department, much like many of the metro area departments that are hemorrhaging officers, they instead have said, we're going to throw an extra $1,000 um, per person out as um, the universal, uh, universal pay on top of the fact that they have quest cards, that we have three to 400 homeless beds open every single night. We're gonna keep pushing money at that problem. And I think that the short-sightedness of this is you can't just go and buy someone off the shelf to be a police officer and plug them in and they're good to go. The idea of recruiting and retaining them are two separate things. Recruiting is difficult across the state, across the country, but once you get them in the door, it is many, 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 many months before they're actually an active police officer. I think what we need to do is Denver needs to come back and say, how do we keep the good product that we have and then supplement it? Patty, you're at the helm of the best city paper probably in the world. What are you seeing and, and where do you think we should go from here? Well, first I want to go on the record. I bought the book I have by my chair at the tattered cover. We are sitting three blocks from where six bystanders were shot by Denver police at let out. So it's not just recruiting, it's not just retaining, it's training. Because we still don't know what happened. It's at the grand jury with that shooting on Larimer 20th back in um, like a month ago, but we know it was not the way things were supposed to go. We know that some things weren't followed. So you have a, th a three-way problem. You have recruiting is very difficult. You have to get training that now deals with new realities, both in budget and in uh, caring about the community and how you respond to different people in the community. We're seeing good programs coming up with STAR and with maybe sending out social workers, mental health people, people trained in that rather than cops to some calls. And then you figure out how to retain them too, which is also important. And that is people at the top need to deal right with their people, with the police forces. And you're seeing Aurora, the problem, they've gone back to the drawing board mm -hmm. on finding a new police chief. Denver is just having a new police chief if it gets approved. So there's a, there, we've got a long way to go. Indeed, we Presumably do. in cars that will still be here when we leave this place. <laughs> well said. A Keating Research survey has found that Adam Fish, the opponent of Lauren Boebert in the 3rd Congressional District, is trailing by just a couple of points. Does he have a chance? Chris. Well, I am from the Western Slope. I just recently relocated here and I am a former um, constituent in Congressional District 3. It's going to be interesting to see how good this poll is and, and I hear it's it's a reputable one um, knowing people in that district talking to people in that district we just saw a primary with Don Corum who got 36 percent of the vote and a lot of people think well she stomped him 
I would argue differently. In fact, a friend of mine who is counted on for his uh, political analysis said that if he broke 40%, that would send a strong message to Congresswoman Boebert. I think there are constituents that are not happy with her, and those include Republicans. They, they don't want to see her grabbing headlines. They want to see her concerned about the issues in the district and, and being a thoughtful leader. Um, that said, I don't think that she's in danger of losing that seat, but I would expect another primary in 2024, and I think this race could very well send her a strong message. George, uh, Lauren Boebert, Congresswoman, has a very provocative style. Will it cost her this election? No, it won't. I mean, listen, is the race getting closer? Of course, uh, that's to be expected. Uh, this is a poll that was commissioned by the opponent, by the Democrat. You got to take that with a grain of salt. And something that the front range folks that watch the show may not know out there on the Western Slope is if you look at the ads that the, the Democrat opponent has put out there, he talks about being pro-Second Amendment, pro-immigration reform, pro-fiscal conservatism. If you didn't know any better, you'd think the dude was running as a Republican. So do I think that there are things about her high-profile nature that have made Congresswoman Boebert more of a target and perhaps more of a lightning rod even within her own jurisdiction? Sure, but at the end of the day, do I think we're going to be watching Congresswoman Boebert get sworn in again? I do. Patty, this election, what is your prediction? She will probably win, which people will think all journalists are liberal, but the fact is she is a gift for journalists because you always have something to write about when Lauren Boebert is in Congress uh, shooting from the lip, which is what she normally does. I do think Adam Frisch is doing pretty well, it, uh, even though the poll is of course gonna be skewed because it's commissioned by a Democrat and pretty much by his, by his Democrats. Um, that it is still close. I think what will happen is it'll all come down to how many people actually vote. Mm -hmm. Can they stand, if they're Republicans and they don't like her, can they stand to vote for the competition? We'll see. Kwame, your prediction. You know, I'll tell you what, uh, Lauren, or Congressman Boebert's brand of politics is not Colorado's brand of politics. There's a reason why President Trump underperformed here in both of the most recent presidential elections. And I think the reason why the race is closer than it should be is that exact type of thing. We want people who want to work together. We don't want people who want to scream in office right now. That being said, I'm more focused on CD7 and CD8. You know, in particular, CD8, it's a brand new district. You know, we're looking at about 10 seats that are probably going to control which party controls Congress. And this is one of those races. If we were, and I say this as a Democrat, if we were able to flip CD3, that'd be fantastic. I take the consensus of the group that that's not necessarily likely to happen. And my only concern is that we lose focus on races that are very winnable for us. You know, Yadira um, uh, Caraveo in, in CD8, she needs our support and, and I hope people remember that and push her over the aid, er, push her over the edge, and then obviously Brittany Peterson in CD7. So we'll see what happens in this state. I think there's a lot more time left in this game. Seven weeks is a, a lot of things can happen, but I'm focusing my time on CD7 and CD8 right now. Speaking of elections and election conspiracy theories, the Supreme Court will not intervene in a defamation suit by Denver-based Dominion Voting Systems against MyPillow Chief Executive Mike Lindell. Dominion sued Liddell, Rudy Giuliani, and Sidney Powell for falsely accusing the company of rigging the 2020 election. If the Dominion suit succeeds, will this finally 
this conspiracy theory finally die out, George? Yes. <laughs> no. No, there's no chance. And a lot of that is because it's never been based on fact. It's been based on this part of the heart right here. There are a group of people out there who just fundamentally believe that the reason that their candidate didn't win was because of some rigging or cheating. And no defamation suit is ever gonna change that. In fact, what I think it's probably going to do is encourage much more of this conspiracy theory that the entire system is out mm -hmm. to get them. And oh, by the way, these people that are named in the lawsuit, they are martyrs. They are martyrs for the First Amendment. They are martyr, martyr, martyrs for transparency in elections. They're martyrs for the integrity of the election system. I don't think this will do anything to quell that part of it. Do I think there are other folks out there who might think twice about saying something out loud on TV, selling pillows and stuff? Maybe, maybe, I don't know, but this is not the end of this by any stretch of the imagination. And maybe that's good, Patty, because Lindell, Tina Peters, they're like a gift to journalists. There's always something to write about. What do you think? Well, Lauren Boebert's off that week. We know we can count on Mike <laughs> Lindell, and who would have thought about it? So going back four years ago, or, sorry, two years ago, three blocks from here is the office of Dominion. So Dominion, which provides voting services for much of the country, not all of it, but much of the country, is a Denver-based company. And you and that, those offices are empty now. They are not working in those offices anymore because of the death threats and all the rumors that popped up so quickly after the election. And it's extraordinary. And of course, most of them are still being propelled by Mike Lindell, who we all know is a genius political science who, scientist who just happened to also invent a pillow and a pillow company. So I think it's right that you can be held accountable for what you say. You can be held accountable for what you do. And someone who, a company who thinks you have committed, you have hurt them by what you've said, you can be held accountable for that too. Libel laws are important. Obviously, you cannot destroy a person by telling lies about them. Kwame, what do you think this happens with uh, both with libel law and also this particular conspiracy theory? You know, I, I think Colorado, in many ways, is a state or is a state that's on a hill in this. You know, you look at you know Tina Peters was not the Republican nominee. In fact, Pam Anderson, who Time Magazine a week ago put on the cover because of the work that she's done and a fight against these types of conspiracies. So, so I think here in Colorado, we've always been incredibly progressive and forward thinking on the way that we think about voting. Very rarely, if ever, are our elections contested. I, I look at the fact that you know we get receive our ballots three weeks ahead and have the opportunity to really think critically about issues. I, I sort of feel like that's noise that's coming from outside of the state. I think as far as you know, libel laws, they are what they are, and, and, and I think that social media and the ability for people to just spout out things have put libel laws in a situation in which it's a very fuzzy area. And the reality is, I actually agree with what George said, I don't think it's going to change very much. But what we can do, and I think this is something that you know this area and the state can do, is just move past it. And we should go out, we should vote, we should trust the results of those elections, and we should show the country how that actually works and why that's successful. Chris, you're on the front range now. You used to be out in the Mountain District. Uh, what, are you, what are you hearing? Are, are you thinking some of this is going to start dying down, particularly if this suit is successful? No, not at all. I agree with George. I think it makes martyrs out of the people that believe the election was stolen. And I think the general public gets tired of hearing about it. I mean, when you listen to the stolen election theories and then you follow these lawsuits, and, and it is interesting that there's pushback now. So we'll see how it all pans out. I'd like to think we could move past it, but I, 
not anytime soon, and yet the general public will grow very weary of this topic of hearing about Dominion, hearing about the stolen election. We'll One see what hope. happens. <laughs> One can hope. Now it's our favorite part of the week, and that is the disgrace, and then the chance to say something nice. Patty, your disgrace of the week. Well, I'm really glad that George was willing to take off his cat ears when we sat down. <laughs> <laughs> the furry Fuhrer is unbelievable. And here's the thing about Heidi Ganahl, who thinks furries are running around demanding kitty litter boxes in schools across Colorado. She brought that up on Jimmy Sangenberger's, I believe that's your station show, on uh, 710. And then after she was questioned about this quote about the furries in the schools, she doubled down and she sent out a list of schools that supposedly had had these complaints, including Castle Rock High School, where they banned dog collars, and Douglas County School District, which is not exactly liberal, said that's not true. So you want your gubernatorial candidates to actually do some fact checking and not worry about the furry. Not worry, huh? Uh, Kwame, your disgrace of the week. Well, I. I you know, I'm going to regret this. I, th I hope to regret this at some point in the near future, but right now it's the Denver Broncos. I mean, what is going on with the team? George is sporting amazing Broncos gear, and, and I'm happy that you are a ride-or-die fan. But, you know, I, I've been a Broncos fan ever since I was born, and, and I think that the expectations were as high this year as they've been maybe d during any time. Uh, they're the most high expectations since the Peyton Manning era, and we have just been dramatically let down from that, and I hope we can actually get back in order and make the playoffs this year. Chris, your disgrace. Party pooper Ron Hanks, and I don't care what your political views are, nobody likes a spoil sport. The timing of his endorsement of a third-party candidate is all too predictable. He said he would support the nominee. He, did, he went back on that. And nobody likes a spoil sport. George. That is very close to someone who says I'm a Broncos fan and then starts rooting for the Raiders. You just can't do that. Um, <laughs> my disgrace of the week it comes from a Common Sense Institute crime report mm -hmm. that I've been a part of. I've been a, a crime fellow. And we put out five reports. And there is an increased tempo of denunciation of Common Sense Institute, as well as Mitch Morrissey, the former DN, uh, DA of this city, and me saying that somehow these are politicized or that these uh, numbers are suspect, and yet not a single, poli single politician, governor, attorney general, or anyone else has come up with a single contrary number. Just the maligning of it. This is a real issue. It should not be a political issue. And it's one that, as you know from our conversation here today, if we don't take this thing seriously, this puts us at risk of losing great small businesses and great future residents of the state of Colorado and the city of Denver. Now for something nice and keep it super short. I'm going to say something nice about Patty Limerick, CU professor, who's lost her position at the center of the American West. We really don't know everything that went down, but we do know her work popularizing history and changing our viewpoint on history has been critical. Kwame. I think we are taking steps, positive steps, steps towards the de decriminalization of marijuana. Um, as I mentioned earlier, if you were in federal prison, you are now currently, you are going to be paroled. I think that's the right move. and We need to keep moving in that direction. Chris. Well, a great story came out of Aurora this week where first responders were honored for saving the life of a one-year-old and they chose to honor the mother as well because everything went right in that situation that a life was saved. And I think we look at so much of the shootings and, and uh, negative news that comes out of Aurora. It's so nice to celebrate the saving of a life. Well said, George. 
In 2016, the elected Republican sheriff from Sedgwick County took a developmentally disabled woman who was in on a low-level drug charge from the jail, dressed her out in civilian clothes, took her to his house, assaulted her, and then took her to an adjoining county's jail. That crime only gets discovered because his own deputy saw him at his house with her and reported it. Um, this woman who had never had a break in her life this week in federal court right here in Denver, a jury awarded her $8.25 million. Um, she was reporters having said repeatedly, they believe me, they believe me, I got my justice. Thanks. That's all the time we have tonight. Thank you panelists for your wonderful insights. Next week we'll return to the tattered cover. Isn't that awesome? And the week after we will get a new set, a new host and a new podcast. So thank you for watching Colorado Inside Out on PBS Channel 12. Check out PBS12.org and you can also check us out on our YouTube channel. Have yourself a fantastic night.